we are in a series called Eclipse, and I want to tell you something uh, that happened when we were still meeting at the downtown Y. Just a few years ago, this happened. Um, uh, we, uh, we wanted to do an, an event for the National Day of Prayer at the Y. Um, I was on the advisory board for the Y, and it was a great opportunity for the Y and the church to partner together and, and do an event the morning of the National Day of Prayer. And the way the event was structured is we wanted somebody to pray for the city, to pray for the county, to pray for the state, and to pray for the nation. And, and I had people to represent each one of those except for the city. That's where I kind of hit a wall. I, I, and, and at the time, uh, Terry Bellamy was mayor. And she was the youngest African-American female mayor in the nation. But more important than that, I knew she was a follower of Jesus. So I thought, well, I'll just give her office a call and see if she can come lead this time during our National Day of Prayer. What have I got to lose, right? Just a phone call. So I called, talked to her assistant. Uh, He thanked me for calling, and he said he would let her know about the event and then let me know of her interest. And I thought, sure you will, buddy. Thank you so much. Got a call that afternoon that the mayor wanted to come and wanted to pray, lead us in a time of prayer for the city, which I thought was awesome. I had no idea what was gonna happen though. So I meet her outside to introduce myself and walk her into the Y and I wanted her to be the first one to start so we could start with the city and then work our way out. And so she walked up. We had a really small group that was there, which was fine, and, and, but she walked up to this little podium that we had and she had some papers in her hand And she put them down and she goes, you know, she said, I had something prepared, but I'm gonna do something completely different. She said, this is a little more intimate of a group. And she said, I'm gonna tell you my story. And so she shared her testimony, but then at one part of it, I don't know why I'm tearing up, but at one part of it, she looked at the crowd and she goes, let me ask you a question. She said, how many of you have moved to Asheville and you're not sure why, but you know that God has you here. And about three quarters of the people in the room raised their hand. She goes, let me tell you why I think God has you here. She said, every week, myself and a couple of other uh, leaders in the community gather in my office and we pray over this city. And we pray for God to bring his people from the north, south, east, and west to this city to see the city changed for the gospel. That's why I think you're here there was like this Holy Spirit chill that went over the the people that were there. And we prayed for the city. We prayed for the impact of the gospel in the city. And I turned to the guy next to me and I said, follow that, because he was up next. (laughs) And it was this incredibly powerful moment. And, and, And I wonder if we were to do that here and I were to ask y'all the same question, that how many of you find yourself here in Asheville and you're not sure why you're here, that it doesn't make sense. But you know that God has you here. And I would imagine a lot of you would raise your hand because I believe the prayers that were prayed in that room over the city, I don't know a whole lot about the spiritual world, but I would imagine when a mayor who has, who has the, the political and government authority over a city prays for the city, I would imagine that has a pretty powerful impact in the spiritual world. And I believe that her prayers are still being answered. And I believe many of us in this room find ourselves in Asheville for a reason that we didn't plan. And maybe that plan doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. 
Maybe you had a different plan for your life that didn't involve Asheville, and yet here you are. And maybe it's not just Asheville. Maybe you find yourself at a place in, at work that doesn't make sense. Maybe you find yourself um, in, in friendships that don't make sense and, and other situations that don't make sense. And maybe, maybe you're asking this question that everybody that raised their hand in that room that day asked, and it's this, God, what are you doing? Anybody asking that question about an area in your life? Does this question sound familiar? You're pretty sure that you're following God, right? But a lot of stuff doesn't make sense, right? You're living in a house that's either too small or too big of a payment than you thought you could ever afford, right? Maybe you're working a job that you're overqualified for. Maybe following God has been more of a struggle than you ever thought it would be. Well, if this is you, hold on, because today, here's what we're gonna see. Today, we're gonna see what do you do when God's plan doesn't make sense? What do you do when God's plan doesn't make sense? And we're gonna see what to do if you are one of the ones that raised your hand. Now, we're gonna be in Philippians chapter one. We're gonna do verses three through 11. Um, it's on page 816. If you uh, need a Bible, there's one in front of you. It's on page 816 in that Bible. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you. I would love for you to, to have a Bible to take home. And we've just started a series called Eclipse. And we're going through the book of Philippians. And, and the reason we're calling this series Eclipse is because, you see, there, the, the power of an eclipse is that something small can can dim the light of something huge. And I talked about last week, proportionally, if this is the size of the moon, this back wall is the size of the sun. And when you experience an eclipse, this moon covers up the light from that sun. And so an eclipse is this picture of when something small like the moon covers something big like the sun. And here's the deal, there should be no way that something this small can block the light of something this big, but it does, and it all comes down to one word, and that word is perspective. That where you are determines what you see. That's what perspective is. Where you are determines what you see. And if you're in the right place at just the right time, this little moon can cover up the light of that sun. You move over a bit, your perspective changes, and, and everything changes. You get to see the full light and full glory of the sun. And see, Philippians, I promise the roof is gonna stay on. I mean, actually, I don't promise that. I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping the roof stays on. Let me, let me correct that. Um, uh, if it does, service is canceled, by the way. If it doesn't, stay on. Um, uh, where was I? Philippians, joy. Philippians is this book about joy. And, and, and as we walk through the book of Philippians, you're gonna see joy is a lot like this eclipse. That the joy that God provides is like the sun. It is always there and it is always in full light. But yet we let these little things get in the way of that joy. And it eclipses the joy that we can find in our relationship with God. That's why we're calling this series Eclipse. Because when joy is attached to the wrong thing, small things look big and big things look small. And a change of perspective is what I hope we accomplish in this series. 
Because today we're going to see what happens when our joy is attached to God's plan instead of God. Because sometimes what we expect God to do can eclipse what he's actually doing. Now let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this. So Paul's writing it and he says, I thank my God and all of my remembrance of you always and every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. And so here we see this introduction of this word, joy. Joy is repeated about 16 times in this book. The word that's translated, the word cluster that's translated joy is repeated about 16 times. And what we have is four chapters of this book. When Paul wrote it, it wasn't broken up into chapters or verses. It was just a letter. And so this letter was only, you know, a couple of pages long. And yet joy is mentioned 14 to 16 times, depending on on how you translate it. It's mentioned a lot. And here's why that's important. And I talked about this last week. but, But Paul, when he wrote this letter, he wasn't hanging out at a resort experiencing a vacation where joy is easy to find, right? He was in a Roman prison. He was under house arrest. He, he had a guard attached to him at all times. He couldn't work. Um, and, and, and so he was very constrained. And his joy that he writes about wasn't attached to his circumstances. Because if it was, that joy wouldn't be there. Because I would imagine Paul didn't have prison in his plan because what he went to prison for is doing what I do every Sunday and just preaching God's word and telling people about Jesus and and talking about the gospel. That's why he got thrown in jail. And I would imagine prison wasn't part of his plan. And get this, the people that he's writing to and the, 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 the people that he's reminding to have joy are a people who also don't have their joy attached to their circumstances. Because this church in Philippi, Philippi is near where Greece is today. They were a church, a group of believers um, in this city called Philippi, and they were experiencing persecution. Persecution that honestly, as Americans, we don't have a box for. Because when they said yes to Jesus, it brought them into a place of ridicule, of shame on their family. They were mocked, they were threatened, there was beatings, there was death. That was what was happening outside the church. Inside the church, there were false teachers proclaiming a gospel different than the gospel Jesus taught. They had to work through that. Inside the church, there was this deep conflict that we'll see Paul address. And so in all of this, even even the Philippians had an opportunity to to give up joy, but joy is mentioned 16 times for them because Paul is is wanting them to anchor their joy in the right things, not the wrong things, because the wrong things make big things look small and small things look big. And today we're going to see him address how our joy can be found even when God's plans don't make sense, like they don't for Paul right now and like they don't for the Philippians right now. Look at verse five. It says this. Verse five says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So whenever he prays for them, whenever he thinks about them, he is filled with joy because of their partnership and their partnership with him in the gospel. And so that's what brings Paul this joy. Notice it's not his surroundings or his comfort or his fulfillment. Like that's not what brings him joy. It's them. It's this Philippian church. Whenever he thinks about them, he feels this sense of joy. 
And I get this, like when I write the update and I end it, most of the times I end it saying, I love being the church with you. It's because by the time I get to writing that part of the update, I, I think about you, the church, and I think about all that God is doing in and through this church, and I love it. That's exactly what Paul is experiencing here. Anytime he thinks about this Philippian church, he ends in this place of joy. And he's there because they partnered with him. What this partnered with him means is that they gave financially to him, which is really important in the ancient world because when you were in prison and you were in jail, you didn't get three hot, three hot, uh, one cot and three hots. Like you, you, that's not what you got. You didn't have meals provided for you. You didn't have your sustenance provided for you. It had to be provided by people other than you. And so these Philippians were sending money to Paul uh, so that he could have food, so that he could have um, uh, clothes to wear, so that he could be warm in the winter, like, like their partnership was with him. And what's interesting, you see as you look in the New Testament that their partnership was, with Paul was in the good times and the bad times. They supported him in his ministry from the very beginning that they met him. And he relishes in that. But what's interesting is what Paul is, is joyful about their partnership isn't the, the what of their partnership. It wasn't the fact that they contributed to his ministry. It was what his ministry did, that they actually contributed to the gospel going out. And so it wasn't that they contributed, this wasn't Paul's joy that they contributed to what he was doing, but why he was doing it. And when they partnered with Paul, what he's telling them is that, listen, when you gave money so that I could do what God has called me to do, actually, you gave money to the gospel. You gave money to this, to this, to this fact that when people say yes to Jesus, they get to have this all the time, every place relationship with the God who loves them and the God who created them. When they realize it's not about their behavior that, that earns their favor with God, but it is about what Jesus did that earns your favor with God, you're partnering with that. And that's going all over this world. And so their partnership was with Paul, but with Paul, it was also with the good news. And here we see something which allows Paul to trust God's plan when it doesn't make sense. And see, when the what of God's plan doesn't make sense, you can trust the why of God's plan. Because the what of God's plan, the fact that he was in prison, the what of the Philippians' plan, the fact that they said yes to God, now have this relationship, they said yes to Jesus, and now have this relationship with God that is life-giving, and yet their, their families persecute them, they're, they're, they're persecuted at their workplaces, they're persecuted in the city square, that doesn't make sense. The what of God's plan doesn't make sense, but Paul's saying because the gospel is going out, you can trust the why, you see, no matter where God has you, Paul's saying he has you there for a reason. Even when God's plan doesn't make sense, you're there for a reason. Now, I know some of you, this may bring up some questions and some doubts. Because you might be saying, you mean God put me with the parents that he put me with for a reason. And maybe there's abuse in your past. Or maybe there's some really bad pain in your life. And when somebody says that wherever God has you, wherever God had you, he had you there for a reason, maybe you thought if there's a God that would allow this, I don't like him. I don't trust him. I certainly can't worship him. And I get it. 
Like I've been counseling for 20 something years now and I've heard stories of trauma that will shock you. And I get it. But the truth is something that we all need to hear. And one of my seminary professors said it who had been counseling for decades before I was. And she said this, she said, nothing in your life, nothing, nothing in your life comes into your life without first passing through the fingers of God. That nothing in your life is in your life without first passing through the fingers of God. And how do we know this is true? Because we look at Jesus. And we look at what God allowed for his own son. You see, he died one of the most painful and humiliating deaths, and yet God planned it that way. Now, why would God do that? Why would God allow that kind of pain and that kind of suffering? Why would God allow the best missionary in the world at the time, if not in all history, to be thrown in jail? Why would God allow this church in Philippi, a brand new church of brand new believers to suffer the false teaching, the conflict, and the persecution that they're suffering? Well, Paul has the answer for us. Look at verse six. Verse six says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing to these Philippians from jail saying, listen, God's story isn't over yet. Even the bad stuff. You see, what God started, he will finish. The work he began in you, he will bring it to its final destination. This means that even when God's plan doesn't make sense, we can be sure that he has a plan. And like Paul and what he's encouraging these Philippians with, when God's plan doesn't make sense, you can trust the why of God's plan because here's what the why always is because he's already told us because it's what they partnered in. That God's why, when God's plan doesn't make sense, the what of God's plan, that God's why is to take the gospel deeper into you and wider than you that Paul knew that his suffering was so that the gospel would go out, not stop. And y'all, this is a historical fact. Anytime the church is persecuted and anytime the government puts a hold on the church, do you know what happens to the church? It exponentially spreads. In, In Russia, this happened. In China, this happened. There were, there were I, was, I worked in Russia as a missionary for a while and I met this guy who, now in Russia, when, when, when communism like shut the gates and closed the wall, they not only burned Bibles, what they did is any book, any Christian literature in libraries, wherever, they were taken out, thrown in fires and gotten rid of. And yet, this guy that I met, he and a buddy were walking through this field and somebody had built a snowman in the field in the middle of Russia. And his friend looked at it and said, oh, evolution, implying that the snowman built itself. And they laughed about it, but it made him start thinking, wait, 
A snowman can't build itself. There has to be a creator that built the snowman. And it started him unpacking everything he knew about evolution, saying, if a snowman can't build itself, how can a complex human build itself? There has to be a creator. So here's what this guy did. He got every atheist book he could find to disprove Christianity and read the scriptures in it so that he could have Bible verses to read and to study. And through that, he became a Christian. And he started a church. And that church spread and started churches. All under the iron curtain of you can't be a Christian. And when that curtain lifted, there were exponentially more Christians when it lifted than it was when it closed. Because the why of God's plan is to take the gospel deeper into you and wider than you. This is God's why behind his plan. So no matter what God's plans are for you, the ups and downs and twists and turns, and listen, I know there have been some deep downs and some major twists in this congregation. But the why is the reason you are where you are. And his desire is for you to understand what Jesus has done for you in a deeper way than you did before. And for that gospel to go wider than you and as you lovingly and compassionately introduce others to the God who loves you. And so let me ask you, do, does God have you in a plan that you didn't choose? Is there something in your life right now that doesn't make sense? Because you can trust the why. And see, he's wanting you to trust him more and then from this place of trust make a difference to those around you. Look at verse seven, it says this. It says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. In other words, you're part of this gospel both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for as God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And Paul loves these people. And that's what this produces, right? Is it produces love in us for those who are with us in this, in this plan that God has. It produces love for one another, that we all trust the why of God's plan when the what doesn't make sense. We have this love for each other as we're doing this together, which is why Paul can pray this for them in verse nine. It says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be, tr- be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, he's telling them, he's like, this is what it looks like when the gospel goes deeper in you. You grow in these things. You grow in your knowledge. You, you understand God's word better, but that doesn't stop there. You, you also grow in your obedience And and that increases, your discernment increases as you walk with the Lord more and more and you trust him and that gospel goes deeper in you. You begin to to distinguish what is right and what is wrong. You begin to almost have a spidey sense about it, right? Like you can walk into a room or you walk into a place and you're like, ooh, something's not right here. And you can begin to discern what is good and what is evil. That's what happens when the gospel goes deeper into you. And when you see stuff that is good, you celebrate it. You pursue purity and holiness more. That's what it looks like when the gospel goes deeper into your soul. And here we say life change is best measured in years, not days. 
right? Because days, any day you could be up or down, but when you look at a year, you see these things increasing. You see knowledge increasing, discernment increasing. You see wisdom increasing. You see all of this increasing over the years. And this is what it looks like. And here's what it looks like when it goes wide. Look at verse 11. It says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You're filled with this fruit of righteousness. And what does Paul mean? He means that, that, that when, you, when you have this gospel in you and it's going deeper in you and it's going wider than you, the spirit of God is alive in you. And, and, and part of this Part of this idea of an eclipse, let me, I'm going to correct some, maybe some theological error in, in the way people think and, and what they think. Because when you say yes to Jesus, one of the gifts of faith, like we talked about last week, one of the gifts of faith is that you get this all the time, every place, relationship with the God who loves you and the God who created you. And the reason you get that is because you get the Holy Spirit indwells in you. And so that the spirit of God is no longer found in a building, it's no longer found in a temple, it is found in your soul when you say yes to Jesus. That you are the steeple of the church, which is good because ours might not be here in a little bit, <laughs> right? Like you are the steeple because the Holy Spirit dwells in you and when we get together as a church, we get to feel the Holy Spirit and the person next to us and it creates this energy and this buzz that Paul speaks about and he loves that. But the, 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 the truth is when you say yes to Jesus, you get all of the Holy Spirit at that moment. That's why God can see you as a saint like we talked about last week because when he sees you, he sees his son, he sees his spirit, like, like he sees God. And that's why you can, Paul can call the Philippian saints. It's why I can call you, if you said yes in Jesus, a saint, because you're filled completely with the Holy Spirit. Yet we don't always act like that, right? We let these little things get in the way of the big thing. And so the questions that we have to ask ourselves isn't how much of the Holy Spirit do I have? Right? Because that's the temptation. When the little thing becomes big, it makes us wonder, oh, there's, there's more of the Holy Spirit that I need. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you have all of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul wrote these letters to a different church in Ephesians. The, the church in Ephesians, he said this. He says, he says, in him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So in other words, that when you say yes to Jesus, there is a promise that Jesus uttered right before he ascended, that he was sending the comforter. He was sending one that, that through him you would be able to do more than even Jesus did in his ministry in his earthly ministry and Paul is saying when you said yes to Jesus and you believed in the gospel you were sealed with that promised Holy Spirit and that word sealed isn't a temporary seal it is the seal of a king putting his stamp on it like that is one and done you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and so the question isn't how much of the Holy Spirit do I have? The question is this, how much does the Holy Spirit have me? That's the question of an eclipse. Is this getting in the way of all of that? Because all of that is always shining. It's not how much of, of, of that do I have, it's how much does that have me? And it's the same question that can be asked of joy when God's plan doesn't make sense 
This is what a change in our perspective is. The question isn't how much joy do I have. The question is how much does joy have me? That's our perspective shift. Because little things can look big and big things can look small. And this is what helps us walk in the why of God's plan. And when God's plan doesn't make sense, when the what of it doesn't make sense, we can trust the why because if we don't, we feel our joy slipping away. We feel the moon slowly moving in front of the sun. And when we feel our joy slipping away, church, let's remember that that joy is always available, that a shift in perspective, saints, is all that we need. And let's remember to let the gospel go deeper in us than wider than us. Because see, here's what the myth we believe is. When we're in the middle of God's plan and it doesn't make sense, we think if I just knew what God was doing, there would be peace. The problem is, anytime God reveals his plan in scripture, there's usually fear and trembling that happens. Right? When Moses, when God revealed his plan to Moses, in my own uh, personal worship time, I'm studying Moses. And, and I noticed that when, he, when God revealed the, the plan to Moses, Moses' first response wasn't, okay, let's do this, God. Moses' response was, wait, me? And he looked over his shoulder like, are you talking, is the burning bush talking to me or, or is there somebody else standing behind me? Because I am not your guy to go back to Egypt. And then what God did is God said, here's how this is gonna go down. There are gonna be signs and wonders all the way up to the firstborn of Egypt. And he laid out the plan. Moses' response wasn't, all right, let's do this. Moses' response was, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. And God's response was great because God didn't say, nobody, you're enough. You can do this. God's response was, I will be with you. That was his response. I will be with you and I will teach you. And see, Jesus even knew the plan of God, right? And there was a night before the crucifixion where he prayed, knowing the plan, knowing that he was headed to his death, knowing that there was a crucifixion just a few days away, and he cried out to God and said, listen, I know the plan, but if there's another one, I'll take that one. That's the translation of take this cup from me right? Even knowing God's plan doesn't bring peace, but what does bring peace is knowing what happened in God's plan. But because because Jesus said yes to God's plan, he went to the cross, and he experienced something on that cross that he had never experienced in all of eternity, and yet because he experienced that, we get to never experience it again because he experienced separation from God. Because there was a moment on the cross where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he said that, he was experiencing something he had never experienced before. The weight of sin fell on his shoulders and God in the, tri- in the Trinity and however this worked, in that moment, God looked away from his son because he was bearing the sin of the world and he felt a separation between God and him that he had never felt before. And because 
he went to the cross and died. And because he lived the life of a saint and took on the punishment of a sinner, we're the sinners that get to live the life of a saint. Because he felt that separation from God, when we say yes to Jesus, we never have to feel that again. That's our gospel. Which is why we have this. It's not a question of how much of the Holy Spirit do you have? You see, when the, when the what of God's plan doesn't make sense, you can trust the why, and here's why you can trust the why, because we have the who of God's plan with us. We have the God of God's plan with us, even when God's plan doesn't make sense. And so my question for you is this, Is there an area of your life that you need to confess you have been holding on to instead of trusting God with? Is there an area of your life where you have been trying to figure it out long enough? And it's just one of those things that right now God's plan doesn't make sense. But you can open your hand and trust him with the why. There's this great, I think it's, I think it's a Quaker tradition. And it's, it's where they would stand up and they would pray, and we're gonna do it in just a minute. And they do this when they pray. They take their fist and they hold them like this and they turn them and they open them like this. And it's, it's symbolically letting go of anything that needs to be let go of. And then they turn their hands up to receive from God what he would fill that space with. And I just have this hunch because I know it's true in my soul and I would imagine it's true in yours. There are things that we're still holding on to like this. And maybe today is the day to let it go and to turn it over and to receive the full presence of God. And so let's do that. If everybody would stand with me. Take those fists, do like this. Let's close our eyes, because this is awkward. (laughs) All right? And I'll pray for us. And Jesus, I ask for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Is there something that we need to, to let go of today, right now? Maybe for some of us it is the fact that that we think we can earn the favor with God, that the relationship that we have with you is based on what we do. Maybe, maybe that needs to be let go of and, and instead we receive the gospel. Maybe it's a lack of trust in who you are, that you are a good God and maybe we can let go of that. Father, whatever it is, in this few moments of silence, I ask you to speak and that we would let them go. Church, if you'd open your hands and flip them over. And Father, we now receive whatever truth you have for us instead of a lie. Whatever fullness of the presence of your spirit that something else has gotten in the way of. Father, whatever um, truth of the gospel that goes deeper, whatever, whatever that is that fills these empty hands, may you do that.
In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, also this week, to help the gospel go deeper in you, um, we're going to be sending out on social seven or six days of prayer with a verse uh, and an opportunity for you to pray. So check out our social media, and let's let the gospel go deeper into us this week.